So our podcast is called Right and Wrong. So are these your notes? These, <laughs> these are your notes about what we're going to say. What does I it say? it would be a good... <laughs> I didn't even get to idea. Okay. <laughs> Maybe I can just ask you the question. Oh, okay. <laughs> Remember so we've done did this five before. million interviews. <laughs> Um, okay, I'll start again. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Right and Wrong podcast. I'm Emma. And I'm Jamie. And today we're joined by Josephine Greenland, author of Embers, her debut novel that's been published through crowdfunding group Unbound. Welcome to the podcast, Josephine. It's great to have you. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, hi, Josephine. Um, yeah, so just to kick off, um, Embers is a book that's um, heavily inspired by your travels to Sweden with, with your brother. Uh, can yeah. you explain for the listeners exactly what inspired you to write this this piece? Yeah, of course. Um, so, yes, it's inspired by my own travels I made with my brother four years ago um, to northern Sweden. So we travelled mm. on the Inland Railway, which is this like really long railway line which spans across like the northern half of the country uh, through the forests. It's a very long ride. It takes like over a day to do the full train ride. Oh, and wow. uh, so we went to the far north um, above the Arctic Circle and just like explored the local towns and scenery. And when we were there, um, I found out about this crime that had taken place in the forest not far from the town we were staying in. And so this crime, it was this circle of um, mutilated reindeer bodies that's quite graphic um so these bodies were laid out in a circle just in the forest like in a ritual kind of circle and they were discovered by two teenage girls who were just out on a walk Uh, and the culprit was never found and um yeah i was just very shocked that something like this could happen that anyone in their right mind could commit a crime like that and i just had this idea like when we came back this idea embodying from my mind of how could I write a story in which the perpetrator is found and kind of put to justice. Mm. So I started then writing it when I was at a writing, a writing retreat in um, Devon. It's called, it's um, in, it's this tiny place called Totley Barton, which is tucked away in the Devon landscape. Um, it's run by the Arvon Foundation. And so I started writing the, um, original story there it was very different to the final version <laughs> it was like a totally different set of characters um, but then when I then came with that early draft and I started my master in creative writing I redrafted it and I realized that the characters had to be like me and my brother to make it feel real and to make the characters more realistic and to get that relationship between me and my brother but then kind of transferred onto the story mm. that's so interesting yeah that's that true crime and then our travel to northern sweden which was like um the main triggering point so for the novel mm. huh that's so cool that you you took this old sort of almost folklore kind of tale yeah and transposed your own experiences and your yeah. own kind of you and your brother's character onto yeah. are, are they very much you and your brother, the, the the main characters? I mean, in a sense, I guess Simon, uh, who is a 14-year-old boy with Asperger, he's a bit eccentric, he's obsessed with detective stories and he has a Rubik's Cube. He's very logical and mathematical. Um, so I guess my brother has Asperger too, but it's, you know, um, Simon's is far more pronounced, I would say, and he's a lot more... Um, 
narrow-minded uh, in his way of looking at the world, I would say. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But it was kind of inspired by that. And um, yeah, I guess when we were younger, I was always quite protective of my brother at school. Um, so I think that relationship and that sense of um, wanting to protect um, my brother, that kind of transferred onto the novel. So Ellen, the main character whose viewpoint we read from, she is quite protective of Simon and always looking out for him in case he gets himself into trouble. Um, Because the way he sees things, he's quite blunt the way he speaks and he will not take into consideration that people might get offended if he's too direct or too forward. Ellen has to be the person (laughs) who kind of moderates that. Um, So, yeah, I guess you could say it's maybe a bit based on how we were when we were younger, but not like now. (laughs) So yeah. a lot more like sort of pronounced. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think, um, you know, Embers was obviously, as you said just previously, a dissertation project for your MA. Um, it was, yeah. Had you, had you queried any book before or or sort of published any books before that? Uh, not any books. I had had some short stories published. So um, um, like the stories that I wrote during my undergrad and my master's course um the creative Mm. writing courses I had submitted and uh got a few stories published in journals and I had a few stories that won competitions as well and made a like runner-up and finalist to a few um but this was the first novel that I'd queried and um that I'd like written seriously with the intent to ideally publish it so Yeah. yeah it was a bit more intimidating in that sense <laughs> sure yeah because yeah, if you're going from a short form medium yeah. up to you know full length and what sort of sh- did you write a similar style in your short stories or did you was it kind of a not just in terms of length stylistically was it a very big change transitioning into a novel uh, I think there are always some stylistic changes when you make that switch from like a very short concentrated form of writing to a long form novel since obviously there's a lot more a sense of of gradually unfolding plot and characters and setting in the novel so I guess you I think my short story writing is more condensed it's more poetic I think in like my style I think in my short stories is a a bit more poetic and experimental I think than my novel writing right but that's a trend with sort of genre as well. Like yeah. Often short stories are very experimental. Yeah. That's true. And, and following on from that, what would you say your preferred writing routine is? Do you have like a a way that you can get and sit and, you know, get the words down on the page? I know everyone has a different, <laughs> a different way of doing it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think it varies a bit depending on the day and like my mood and my energy levels. But often I prefer writing in the morning because that's when I'm mm. most awake. Yeah. So just like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, like yeah. first thing, have a cup of tea, um, and um, yeah, I'd be able to sort of have some kind of natural sunlight, and just write in the morning is ideally what I prefer. Um, mm. I also find that I tend to be a bit more productive when I'm at home in my family home in Sweden, because we live out in the countryside, um, in the forest, and there's like no one around, so. I find that a more peaceful setting to like get into the mode. There's no distraction from, you know, traffic and police and ambulance sirens and all the kind of city noise (laughs) that you have to channel out. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And and you, 
do you spend a lot of time in Sweden? Could you currently live in Edinburgh? Edinburgh yes. But but you 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 you're from Sweden originally. Yeah. How much time do you spend kind of between those and and does that travel really influence your writing? Great question. Um yeah, I'd say so I moved from Sweden 7 years ago when I went to university. So since then I've been back home for like holidays, so like you know Christmas and summer sometimes Easter. Right. Uh, now I'm working as an English teacher, so I still have that kind of same pattern with the holidays. <laughs> so that's oh, when that's I nice. kind of tend to go home. Um, but yeah, I do find traveling um, is and basing my stories, both my novels and short fiction, on real incidents or experiences I have when I'm traveling is like the yeah. best um, things to base my stories on. Um, so um, a lot of the stories that I wrote recently are also based on like my travels when I, I did some teaching um, in uh, Thailand after my MA. So um, okay. like TEFL, um, which oh, is yeah. as a foreign language. Yeah. So if I'm going to like a different part of the world and just trying to collect local folk tales and experiences and uh, <laughs> all those things. And um, yeah, I just find it pushes one's creativity, I think when you mm. kind of encounter something unknown like that and learn more about it through writing about it. Yeah, it so, makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I think um, you also, going back to your, your book, you have a beautiful front cover. It's stunning, which yeah, obviously like, links a lot with, you know, the, I guess that it really brings it out of the page. I think it's just yeah. gorgeous. Um, yeah, and, uh, yeah, that's good, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, I was just like so pleasantly surprised when the um, art director at Unbound, the publisher, came with this, this draft and I was just like, wow, that's just beyond <laughs> what I could have imagined. That was just fantastic. It looks oh, great. That's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. I was going to say, did you, have mu- did you have much say in obviously the aspect of what you wanted it to look like or was that kind of handed over to the art director and then and you just kind of okayed it at the end? Uh, no, so Unbound sent me a very detailed questionnaire in which mm. I could put like um, the kinds of pictures that had, I guess, inspired me and then inspired the novel um the kind of font the um and also like pictures of what I thought the characters might look like so I just sent loads of pictures of you know Scandinavian forests and mountains and reindeer herding and pictures of the Sami people and the way that (laughs) they work so I was just like spamming (laughs) all these kind of pictures and also um one of the things that I knew from the start was that I wanted the patterns of the shaman drum uh to be kind of etched into the background so on the front cover, you can see this, this vague outline of a drum with like characters and animals and reindeer and like teepees and yeah. that kind of traditional um, folkloric um, kind of allusions. That's, well, that's great. Brilliant. Yeah. They really kind of made the cover to your specification yeah. in a lot of ways. And I well, guess, Jamie, pretty... that doesn't, we've spoke to people before, haven't we? And that does, that's not the really traditional route of how it goes. No, not at all. Oh, yeah. No, everyone seems to have a different experience with their covers though. And it yeah. also varies hugely on the way that you've gone through publishing. You have gone through Unbound, which yes. is crowd-funded publishing. How, let's start at the beginning with that because it's, 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 mm. there's quite a lot to unpack there. Yeah. yeah. How did you initially get, the sort of the signing with Unbound how does that work was it just a submission process or was there more to it 
Yeah, so the Unbound submission process was naturally, since it's crowdfunded, a bit different from, I think, regular manuscript submissions to publishers. So they asked you to submit the whole novel um, mm. in one go if you had the whole manuscript. So oh, I submitted okay. the whole thing. Uh, I had a finished manuscript. Uh, one also had to submit like a I'm trying to remember now off the top of my head it was two years ago now <laughs> uh, <laughs> but um I also had to submit a list of different contacts and like my network that I could reach mm. out to to help with the crowdfunding to sort of show right. that I had the means to raise the money to publish a book oh, uh, I okay. think I also also had to have like a little short pitch like um like a shout line where you kind of summarize your um novel in like a sentence or a few sentences yeah mm. um and i needed to have not i i think i did need a synopsis uh as well but there was more focus i think put on those crowdfunding aspects and the networks and also like a description mm. of the main ideas of the novel and why like what message i wanted to relay with it so yeah, yeah i think it was slight i guess more stuff to submit that's in that sense than a regular publisher and when you you decided to submit to unbound were you also submitting to agents in a more traditional way I or was. did you know that you were oh, okay yeah and how many agents do you did you did you go through that process with um so i think i submitted to like it's not really a big number i know like so I probably i've submitted to more places but i submitted to i think in total <laughs> 10 publishers and agents and uh, I got a response okay. from like one agent who said that they really liked the novel and they thought it stood out and uh, like when they went through their submissions pile that story stood out so they read it and then they said we liked it but we didn't like it enough yeah, so it's like okay yeah, we well fair response. enough um, I'm glad <laughs> that you but it um, intrigued you I guess yeah, yeah and yeah. I had another independent publisher who asked for like the next three chapters, so like the second stage, I guess, of um, the submission. But then after those three chapters came back, I said, thanks, but no thanks. Um, yeah. And then the other publishers and agents I submitted was like nothing, just a black hole. <laughs> and then... Oh, um, sad times. Yeah, it's just like that. <laughs> We've all been there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I was thinking of, okay, do I need to submit to like a next round of 10 places? But then unbound got back to me and it was just actually two weeks after I submitted to them and oh, wow. they got back and said they would love to um publish it with their I think so Un unbound has like two different kind of platforms the regular one and then unbound digital which mm, I okay. think they've kind of merged together as one now but back then two years ago it was more for difference between the digital publisher and the regular one uh, so they said we would like to do this deal with Unbound Digital um, to raise the money. And I think the difference was that with the digital, you wouldn't have a hardback version of the right. novel, just a paperback and ebook. So that obviously oh, okay. meant that I had less money to raise than if I was also going to publish a hardback hard sure. version. Yeah. Because that's more expensive. Yeah. Are they set amounts of money that you have to raise? Yeah, I had to raise £5,500, I think, or £5,000. Okay. okay, yeah. Um, and they gave, they gave you, they give you normally 90 days to do it. Um, so With pressure. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, okay. like, um, you know, like, 
my um, my experience with Unbound was very supportive and like very like they were supportive um, in like all the editing stages and of course with the cover, but like the crowdfunding there it was more like you, you know I was a bit more on my own then had to use all my contacts and basically contact mm-hmm. everyone I knew so that was a bit intimidating because I'd never done a crowdfunding project before so it was all new to me and uh, it's kind of it was a bit of a funny and uh, maybe not the best time to do it because I was working at a summer camp in Austria uh, and okay. my first day at the summer camp was the first day of the crowdfunding campaign oh wow <laughs> yeah multitasking we like multitasking. it <laughs> <laughs> literally I was going to say so obviously you've went through um unbound and uh and went down the crowdfunding route now that you've done that and you've experienced these you know highs and lows with it I guess yeah (laughs) um (laughs) would you go back and do that or would you go down the traditional route I think ideally I would like to try and go down the more traditional route Mm. if they are interested in my second book which is you know (laughs) big question but like yeah I want to try and you know even if it's even if I don't get like an agent at least trying to go with an independent publisher that's not crowdfunded yeah um yeah I think I've managed and it's also a matter of I think research and researching publishers um that are into this type of you know story and genre that you write in and of course um I think the the kind of things I write and what my second novel is, it's a bit more specialised, I guess, since it's, my writing tends to be set in Sweden and it's like, okay, so why would a English-speaking audience want to read about, you know, this small-town life in Sweden? What's what's the marketing um, attraction there, if you get what I mean? Yeah. So, it's interesting. It's not England. <laughs> it's not England. Someone yeah. is making like fish and chips in the corner somewhere or having some tea. It's nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I was going to say, what has the been the best way for you to raise awareness of your novel then, do you think? I know obviously you've done it through crowdfunding, but do you think there's been other aspects of um, raising awareness? I think, I mean, social media is, I guess, always a given. Like, there are pretty good writing communities on, like, Twitter. And uh, there's a good, like, book blogger community on Instagram. So trying to reach out to those communities definitely helps. But otherwise, Mm. I mean, I have found recently that reaching out to, like, the Swedish communities in Britain has also been quite effective. Like, Mm. um, I literally just, like, shared to the various local Facebook groups for like Swedish people in Britain, in Edinburgh, in Devon, where I used to live. And I got like this surge of parents who ordered the book for their children so that they could read something about Sweden, but that, that was in English to, to make it more accessible oh, for nice. them. That's nice. So that was kind of accidentally discovering like a kind of niche audience there. <laughs> Target <Yeah>. audience. <laughs> but I think also um, like as a secondary teacher, I think also trying to reach out to other schools and libraries, I think, is a good way. Yeah. But I can kind of work on that network as well. Yeah. Yeah. And you sense. say that you've you found a little niche audience for yourself in uh, sort of Swedes who have moved to England yeah. uh, to read to their kids and stuff. And there is, uh, there, there, you do use some 
Swedish language in the novel there's, yeah. there's a glossary at the front which yeah. is a sort of like here's some translation mm. of words that will come up yeah how have you found uh writing uh in a, in uh English which is uh not your native tongue yeah um so I mean I guess I always like to say that I have two native tongues since my dad's <laughs> English uh so I always he always okay. spoke English to me he would only speak English to me growing up so um, you know I kind of grow grew up you know, learning to read and write in both languages simultaneously. So I was one always of the talented writing. people. <laughs> I was always writing kind of, you know, on and off in both languages, um, probably more in Swedish. But, you know, I would dabble in writing things in English when I was a kid. But that's great. I would, yeah. So I think I, always, I was already used, you know, to writing in English. And I went to international schools. Um, so that was all the education in English. So, um, you know, I was already quite immersed in it, but, um, I guess I find when it comes to like, I, what I did find was when I was writing Embers was that I would try and mediate a sense of Swedishness through the English. So a sense of using or trying to use where possible the grammatic structure of like Swedish, but in English, but trying to make it work. That's and also... Um, just trying to mimic the way that people speak or expressions, but tra- yeah. trying to see yeah. how that would translate into English. Yeah. So that's always something I think I like experimenting with. And uh, I've spoken to other Swedish authors who write in English who kind of try and do the same thing. Um, mm. So when I was writing my MA, like we had to do like, uh, like so for my MA dissertation project, um, we had to also write um, like a critical essay, putting our writing project into context. And that was like my topic was about how um, it's called exophonic writers, when it's a writer who writes in a language that's not their first language. So how other Swedish exophonic writers kind of play around with, you know, using their native tongue in English. And Mm. I was also looking particularly at use of setting since I think you've got the various different specific words to describe the nature and surroundings in Swedish and then seeing, can I find an equivalent in English? Yeah. But I spoke wow. to a another crime writer who's called Cecilia Ekbeck. I don't know if you've heard of her, but she wrote a novel called Wolf Winter, which is like a historical crime novel set kind of in a similar area to my novel and that was quite inspirational for me for Embers (laughs) but that's more like an adult historical crime um it's a bit darker I'd say um than my novel um yours is YA right yes mine is more for young adult audience um but so and uh Cecilia she said that yeah she kind of often played around with that sense of the Swedish sentence structure but in English so I think maybe it's a thing that many exophonic writers do, just like I think naturally it just comes to them that that other language is with you when you write. Exactly. Mm. That's how, you you know, I express myself through uh, English colloquialisms and phraseology. And if I were to write in another language, I'd think, oh, how can I say this phrase Mm. but in this language? Because, you know, translation's an art, really. It's, It's never this equals that. And I mean, it happens all the time when I write that, like, a Swedish word will be in my head and I want the English word. I'm like, oh, I have to <laughs> translate, look at this word again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But if, uh, 
let's talk about other writers yeah. and if you could offer some pieces of advice to other writers uh looking to pick up an agent get published maybe go through unbound what pieces of advice would you give them I guess I think when it comes to submissions and uh, trying to find a publisher, I think patience and uh, don't get downhearted. Just try and stay positive because <laughs> it's a long yeah. process. Mm, and, yeah. uh, you know, I think, you know, and I think all writers who've been through the process will say this, that you need to take, you know, all those rejections as a compliment. But, you know, you got a email or letter saying, like explaining, thank you for submitting, but we can't take it for reason, these reasons. And sometimes you can get pretty nice rejection letters and that's always a good sign. Yeah. Um, that's when you know you're mm, onto something. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so exactly. I guess you could say maybe, <laughs> maybe, the, maybe the polite of the rejection letters get the better assigned is. I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> and so, but yeah, staying, being patient and uh, keeping up a good spirit and just like you write for a reason, um, you, I think you have to remember why you started writing in the first place. Yeah. And that, sh yeah. um, I think, is going to help, like, motivate you to keep at it. And, mm. you know, at the end of the day, yes, it's great to get published and to get some royalties and to get recognition. But at the end of the day, you started writing because you love doing it. And I think you just have to remember that um, in those moments when you do struggle with motivation or when things seem a bit stuck so to yeah. say wise yeah. advice i think not only yeah, for writing but for the world and life itself yeah <laughs> jamie <laughs> um, <laughs> sorry it's, the, it's his accent mainly i just laugh all the time and um, that brings us really nicely on to our final question i think josephine which is um okay is if if you were stranded on a desert island with nothing but one book to bring, what would that <laughs> book be, and about and why? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah um, it's funny because at first I was thinking of like the books I normally say when I when I get asked what's my favorite book or what a book that inspired me as a writer, and I was thinking of like things like um, um, like Lord of the Rings or Harry Potter for escapism or oh, yeah. like The Old yeah. Man of the Sea because I love the style. Mm -hmm. I think Hemingway is a master writer. But then mm -hmm. I thought, well, if I'm stranded on a desert island, I would want something that's kind of entertaining and puts me in a good mood. Um, so <laughs> yeah. I went with um, Good Omens by Terry Pratchett oh. and Neil Gaiman. Because I love that book. And you are probably <laughs> looking for good omens when you are stranded on an island. So true. Sign of getting out of a, a situation. And, um, you know, the end of the world doesn't have to be dark and dangerous and depressing. So, you know. Yeah, exactly. That book does that a wonderful job true. of making yeah. the apocalypse lighthearted and fun. Yeah. And, and not scary. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it would distract yourself from your own situation. <laughs> oh, definitely. And you need them on Desert Island. Oh, well. Well, thank oh, you so you much, Josephine. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been such a pleasure having you and speaking to you. Um, if anyone listening would like to keep up with Josephine's movements, her actions, uh, you can follow her at Greenland underscore JM on Twitter or on her website at www.josephinegreenland.com. 
And to stay tuned with our latest episodes, you can find us on Twitter at Right and Wrong UK and on Instagram at Right and Wrong Podcast. And if you also want to get your hands on Josephine's exciting new debut, Embers, uh, you can find it uh, on our book list at bookshop.org forward slash shop forward slash right and wrong. Thank you for tuning in and we will see you next time. And scene. Scene. <laughs> Done. Cut.